in our series on following Jesus, one of the themes that we seem to keep having to come back to is learning how to cope with difficult times. Our focus this morning is seeing our situation through God's eyes and not just our own. Have you ever questioned God and wonder why sometimes he allows certain things to keep on happening? He allows things to happen on the one hand, and we don't know why, and at other times he stops things, he cuts them short, and we struggle, we don't understand. Have you ever prayed to God and been overjoyed when he has answered your prayer powerfully, and at other times you've prayed and your prayers haven't seemed to be answered the way you had expected. At times we are disappointed, perplexed, confused, even frustrated that things aren't working out the way we had hoped. In this three-chapter book of Habakkuk, we see that the prophet, prophet Habakkuk had a good relationship with God. He was faithful to God. He was a faithful follower of the Lord at a time when there weren't that many among the Israelites in Jerusalem, among the Jews in Jerusalem. When a situation needed, needed, he prayed fervently, as we see at the start of this letter. But there was one big issue that God hadn't fixed. And so Habakkuk questioned God, not out of disbelief like atheists would, not out of disbelief as... Agnostics may put rhetorical questions to God. Not really believing that he exists or cares or would even give an answer. They don't believe that. Habakkuk questioned God because he was perplexed, not confused. Because he wanted to know the answer. Not that he was just throwing out a question to God as a, as a means of making God look silly. Some people question God but not to get an answer some people question God simply to to put the blame for situations on him but Habakkuk wasn't doing that he was asking as many believers do he questioned God a bit like John the Baptist did when he was in prison and he was a bit confused it wasn't through lack of faith it was just that he was perplexed And we often find ourselves in that situation too. We're perplexed. We don't understand what's God doing. John the Baptist had expected the coming of the Messiah to be very different. And we don't often pick that up from when we read the New Testament because we know what the story is. We know that Jesus came, he healed, he did many things. He went to the cross and died. He rose again. And the church has been going for another 2,000 years. But John the Baptist didn't expect it to work out like that. John the Baptist thought that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he's immediately going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be the judgment day and everything will be brilliant. That was the Old Testament mindset. And so when Jesus wasn't bringing judgment to everybody, when it didn't work out the way he had expected he was confused. He, he sent the messenger, are you really the Messiah? So Jesus sent message back. 
He didn't explain the whole pattern of human history. He didn't explain this has to happen before that and that has to happen before the next. He simply gave proofs. You see the lame walk, you see the blind are healed. He reassured John that he was the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. And sometimes we're in the same situation where we're confused, we're perplexed. Lord, I didn't know things would work out like this. But he speaks to us and he reassures us that he is still the Messiah. He is still God. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to struggle with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. The theological term for that problem is theodicy. How can a good God allow bad things to happen if he is truly God? Some people say they don't understand how God could allow evil to continue if he is good and if he is all-powerful. If he's not all-powerful, well, maybe that explains why he's not able to do anything. Or maybe he's not good, maybe he doesn't care. But if he's all-powerful and all-good... Why is he? We can't see why he's allowing it to happen. The problem there is not with God. The problem there is with the question that people have. I can't see how God could allow this. They often assume that there's something wrong with God allowing it. But actually the problem is, I can't see. We can't see. We, we don't understand the mind of God We think we are able to look at God and his ways and analyze them and understand them. But he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If we can't understand why God would allow something to happen, the problem isn't with God. The problem is we just can't see it. We can't understand it. And sometimes that's okay. John the Baptist didn't understand, but he came to a point of trusting. Sometimes we don't understand how God is working in the world, but it's enough to trust that he is, and he is working all things together for good. In many situations in life we get frustrated. We want to see results. We want to see things work out. In families where one of the children might be autistic or somewhere on the spectrum, the other siblings don't understand why is mommy and daddy treating them differently? They're not treating them fairly. They're they're letting them off with things that they wouldn't let us off with. And they don't see that the parents might be Dealing with a situation, not when it comes up, but maybe at a different time when the autistic child is in a better frame of mind to be able to deal with it. In business, if some of the shareholders in the company might be wondering, why is the company, why is the board of directors not doing things? Why do we not see things happening? The share price isn't going anywhere. We want it to go up. They don't realize there's a massive takeover about to happen and the share price is just about to go up, but they don't see. They just see inaction. In many situations in life, we just don't see 
what is about to happen. And that makes us feel confused, even doubting. We don't see how God could allow the war in Ukraine to happen. We don't see how God could allow many things in history to have happened. I remember one person asking me, why did God the Father allow his son to suffer on the cross? I just don't see how God could allow that to happen. If only they'd read the Bible, they would have seen the answer is clear. Our sins deserved punishment. Sins had to be punished for us to be forgiven. And Jesus took our punishment on himself on the cross so that we would be forgiven. The price had to be paid. Justice had to be satisfied. God could not be unjust. And so Jesus paid the price for us on the cross. And if we don't understand what the cross was about, it's not because God did something unjust. It's because we don't see it the way we ought to. If only that person had seen the glory of God's purposes in Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. If only we could see God's purposes in allowing all the suffering in the world that continues. When we look at Jesus' death on the cross, we are told in God's word what the outcome was, what the reasoning was. We can see how it was necessary. When we look at the problems in the world, we're not told how each specific thing works out. We just have the big picture. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. We don't see, but yet we can believe. We can trust. We can still have the eyes of faith that believe and trust that God is working all things together for good. He is in control. He knows what he's doing, even if we don't. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In our reading from Habakkuk, we saw how Habakkuk didn't understand how God could allow evil to continue. And in the gentlest way possible, God showed him his plans that were bigger than he could have even have imagined. God's agenda was on a bigger scale than the prophet had seen. Habakkuk's first complaint, he said, Lord, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so justice has become perverted. It's clear from what Habakkuk says that he's describing the problem of where the, those in power in the land were corrupt. Violence was not being punished. Good was not being rewarded. In fact, the opposite. We read in a number of times that the prophets were not saying the word of the Lord, but were telling people what they wanted to hear. So often in the Old Testament, 
after the people were brought into their promised land, they would worship God for a bit and then backslide. They would sin. They would get into trouble, difficult situations because of sin. And then in their difficulty, they would cry out to the Lord for mercy. And he would respond with grace and mercy towards them and raise them and rescue them. And they would thank him for a while. And then they would go through the same cycle again, sinning, sinning and getting into problems and turning and asking him, Lord, bail us out again. And this cycle went on and on for hundreds of years. They already knew in God's word and and the law of Moses that the goddess says, listen, if you sin, if you reject me, I will get you taken captive. You will be invaded. But it's been so long. He hasn't done that yet. Oh, he's he's never going to do that. They'd forgotten about that. The ultimate sanction of, of them being exiled, they'd forgotten about that. But God in his grace rescued them and they turned away. He rescued them, they turned away so many times that they assumed that that warning was, was not going to happen. Habakkuk was saying, Lord, bail us out again, please. There is no justice in the courts. The widows and the orphans are not being treated well. But in a sense, God said to Habakkuk, you think you have problems, you ain't seen nothing yet. The Babylonians are going to come. You're going to be exiled. Habakkuk lived in a time when one powerful state would invade another, causing death and destruction. There would be looting. That was how how countries gained wealth. It still happens today. They they loot and they invade, and they put in puppet leaders. After World War II, Poland suffered as a puppet leader amongst many countries. And they had a a puppet leader who was doing everything that Russia wanted. And the Polish people really suffered under that. With the fall of the the Berlin Wall, with the collapse of the Iron Curtain, they were able to, to rule themselves and things got a lot better. But now we see in Ukraine the same things happening over again. The same thing that was about to happen to Habakkuk many years ago. Habakkuk called to the Lord, Lord, please sort out our domestic problems. And the Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They're notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge away from them, far from away, from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. The northern king, the northern tribes have been taken into exile by the Assyrians. And they've now been conquered by the Babylonians. And now the southern tribes of Jerusalem, Judah, 
The same is going to happen to them, God says. So Habakkuk replies, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you've sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are, are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Habakkuk questions God. How can We need help with this. How can you let that happen to us? But just like a rebellious teenager who always gets their father to bail them out of a problem. Again and again and again. Especially if the father is rich. They can pay off situations and smooth over things. And the teenager thinks, grand, I'm fine again. And then gets into trouble again and the father bails them out. The Israelites, the Jews, they were thinking the same towards God. They'd got into a problem, they were expecting God to bail them out. But like a, a father says, right, that's it. I'm not helping you this time. You have to learn that your actions have consequences. And God is letting them suffer the consequences of their actions. They have sinned through hundreds of years of rejecting God. And now comes the punishment. A punishment which is deserved, but a punishment which also is also a warning and a punishment which is also there to draw them back to him. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Jeremiah writing to the, to the exiles, writing into this situation, says, yes, you will be in Babylon. But it's not forever. It's only for a time. It's only for a couple of generations. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. The very next verse is, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. We love that verse. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. But we so often take that verse out of its context. This verse is given to people who have been punished by the Lord because of their great unfaithfulness to him. And he is promising them a bright future when they wholeheartedly turn to him. When they turn to him wholeheartedly, you will find me, he says, I will be found by you. If you look for me wholeheartedly. It's not a blind promise that just is given to everybody. This is given 
to those who wholeheartedly turn back to the Lord. But this promise in Jeremiah also has overtones, not just of how it applies to the people, but mission overtones. How will it apply to the the world? I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. The gathering of the people into their own land, while the immediate context might have been, yes, they will be gathered back into Jerusalem. The broader context, the broader fulfillment of that prophecy is that God is not just bringing the Jews out of all nations, but bringing his people out of all nations, bringing people who trust in Jesus from all nations, bringing them home to their own land, not a plot of land here on earth, but the new heavens and the new earth, the new land where there will be no more pain or suffering any longer. God was using the situation not just for their good in the long run but for the greater good as well. In response to Habakkuk's second complaint about the Babylonians his first complaint having been about the corruption among his own people God then affirms across Habakkuk too that he will indeed judge the ungodly. He will judge the Babylonians for all that they do. Habakkuk needn't worry about God letting them away with things as if They're going to get away with it forever. God has given us free will. We have a certain level of free will. And God gives us freedom to do things. And we have responsibilities. But then there's judgment. God reassures Habakkuk that they would pay in the end for all the wrong that they do. And one of the most quoted verses in Habakkuk summarizes God's response. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Contrasts two ways of living. Pride that brings destruction and walks over people, either at an individual level or at a national level, or the righteous, the just shall live by faith. How does Habakkuk respond? He praises God. He has a change of attitude. Instead of calling God to simply fix the situation in the land, the injustices against the widows uh, and so on, instead of calling on God to fix the problem that is about to happen, the Babylonians coming, he has a bigger vision. He's able to see beyond his situations to see something of the plan of God. Instead of having a demanding approach to God, he comes with a more humble heart and calls on God for mercy. He sees himself as he is, a sinner who should be amazed at God's works instead of someone who summons God to fix situations when when he feels like he needs help. the start of chapter 3 he says I've heard all about you Lord I'm filled with awe by your amazing works 
in this time of our deep need. Help us again, as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. In your anger, remember mercy. He wasn't saying at the start, Lord, you're angry with us and you've every right to be angry with us. He wasn't asking for mercy in the midst of anger. He was calling on God to just fix our situation. Look at this. But God is more concerned with the heart than the situation we find ourselves in. God is more concerned with the eternal than the temporary. And after several verses of extolling God's greatness, his almighty nature, his saving power, Habakkuk stops questioning God and he settles into waiting for what has been prophesied to happen, what God has said will happen. He waits trembling because you know that God's purposes mean that things are going to get worse before they get better. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. And yet he says, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. He knows there's going to be an invasion. But he, he looks past the current problems, even past the invasion. He looks to the day of judgment on those who will invade them as well. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Habakkuk didn't sink into depression. He didn't sink into anger against God. He didn't go against God's will. He waited patiently for God to work out his will through the nations. And yet despite this impending invasion, Habakkuk was now much more wise. His focus wasn't fixed on, Lord, we need help for this wee situation here. As serious as it was, he could see something of God's plan, of God's ways, of God's purposes. And he could see that God deserved praise even in the midst of the most difficult of times. And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, we read some of the most mature, the most beautiful, the most hopeful, praiseful words in the Bible. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Even though the grain crops are failing, even though the prices of food in the shops are rising, even though the price of heating and electricity have gone up and might get worse. We can see past the immediate problems 
and we can see how we ought to praise God and give thanks to him in the midst of all these difficulties. We can see past the immediate situations that we're in and see how God, as we've seen in Ukraine already, people are turning to the Lord. We can see that God is working together all things for good. It's natural for us to want God to fix our problems. It's, it's not normal for us to live in a, in a broken world. That's not the way God intended. But even if we can't see how God is working, even if we can't see it, we can still trust that he is and he is going to bring good from all of this. We can worship him in all things and even give thanks for the end result that all things will result in. We don't know how in God's sovereignty he can use the evil that people do to bring about his good purposes, but we know that he can. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. He makes everything work out according to his plan. If we can't see how, that doesn't take away from the truth of this verse. That he is working out everything according to his plan. And personally we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love God loves us he has poured out the Spirit into our hearts he is in control and if we don't understand how he is working all things together for good we still know that he is One day we will see the big picture. One day we will look back and and think, I just wish I had praised you more. I just wish I had trusted you more. And yet even here and now, we can trust him more. We can praise him more because he is good. In his anger, he remembers mercy. He is the God who, who calls people to he says to Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He says that to the Israelites long before. And we have the opportunity to rejoice that if we've trusted in Jesus, we have sins that are as white as snow, gone forever. We have been forgiven and we have a message which we can bring to others that Maybe it requires their situation to get to a point where they are so desperate that they will then trust in the Lord. Maybe that's how he's working all things together for good. Regardless, like Habakkuk, instead of just seeing the problem or even the impending problem, he then was able to see the bigger picture still. And God is going to bring justice and that through it all, even though the the fig tree does not blossom. We can praise him, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't have to have a, 
a fatalistic approach, Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. I just, Lord, you just do what you want. And no, we can be engaged with God. We can pray to Him, Lord, bring about the restoration. After the 70 years were up, it was prayer that brought about God's people returning. It was prayer that brought through God's blessings. And we can pray. And our prayer can be a catalyst that makes things happen. So let's pray. But let's trust that God's will will be done. We can trust God in all circumstances. Especially when we can see things from his perspective, not just our own. But even when we can't, even when we can't see, let's walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these situations that we can read of in the Old Testament, which show us how we ought to live here and now. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your longer term plan. Lord, we thank you that one day we will be able to look back and see that you were working together all things for good. We will be able to see it then in hindsight. But Lord, help us to trust now and help us to to rejoice. Lord, we know our Saviour is good and we know that we will see you with our own eyes. Lord, help us to trust now. Help us to rejoice. Help us not to doubt. Lord, it's okay if we get confused, but Lord, help us to trust at the same time and to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.